Morning, everybody. Morning. Good to see you guys, you guys online. Good to be seen by you. So for those of you who don't know, my younger son, Matt, Matt is now 28 years old. He is um, a man of few words. He's got a big heart. He's got a wicked sense of humor. And uh, when, he was, when he was a little guy, and I'm not sure quite the age, I'm guessing like 10, 12, somewhere in that range, we were sitting around the dinner table one night, and, uh, and there was a silence, and Matt put his head, or his hands behind his head, sat back, and with a big smile on his face said, perfect day. Aww. And we were like, wow. What made it perfect? And he just smiled and he had no particular answer to that. He did it a few more times and we were never able to piece together what were the elements that went into a perfect day for Matt. I mean, perfection is pretty elusive when it comes to a day, right? Like, I know what a good day looks like. You know what a good day looks like. You know what a bad day looks like. You know what a awful day looks like but a perfect day? So let me ask you, can you remember a perfect day? Now I remember when my boys were born, I remember being in that hospital room and holding this infant in my arms and looking into that face and thinking to myself, he's perfect. But honestly, it wasn't a perfect day. I mean, the day was pretty overwhelming, especially, you know, for Marilyn. <laughs> I mean, the result was great, but the day, I don't know that the day was perfect. So I've been thinking about this for over a week, just knowing that I was going to be talking about this, and what was, what, what was a perfect day for me? And all I could come up with was, it was a day back when I, and I can't even remember if I was high school or college, but it was a day in the summer, it was the perfect beach day. So me and some buddies went down to the beach, we got there early, so we got a good parking spot, and uh, it was the perfect weather, it wasn't too hot, it wasn't humid at all, it was just that wonderful warmth, and uh, there was no humidity in the air, it was just, that was great, and the water temperature was great, and uh, we just spent the entire day on the beach. And then late in the afternoon, we went out into the water, and uh, the waves were breaking pretty far out, and so we swam out and uh, got out to where the waves were starting to break, and this wave was coming along. I love to body surf. I forgot to share that little piece. I love to do that. And uh, so this wave comes along, and uh, I catch this wave and caught it just right, and it was one of those waves that took me all the way in. You know what I'm talking about? Those kind of waves where, especially when they're so far out, it is this long ride all the way in to the point where you're scraping along the, the sandy bottom. It takes you that far in. And it was like, wow! Got up, ran back out, swam out to where the waves were breaking. No sooner do I get there, another wave, just like the first one. Catch that wave, ride it all the way in. That went on for an hour. It was the perfect beach day. So we're in a series. 
that we're calling identity crisis. And we're looking at what does it mean to be a Christ follower? Getting away from all of the noise that we hear in the media and social media and what people say about Christians and Christ followers and people who go to church and what we say about each other as Christians. Getting away from all of that noise, what is our identity as Christ followers. So we're halfway into that series. We began the series by talking about the fact that we are loved by a God who pursues us. God is always the initiator in our relationship with God. And then last week, Pastor Rick talked about the fact that when you accept Christ, that God adopts you into his family and never lets you go. This morning, I want to talk about perfection. I want to talk about perfection. Other theological words that we use for perfection are words like holy or entire sanctification. And I wonder how many of you have these as priorities or goals in your life. How many of you, for example, would say that one of your top goals is entire sanctification? <laughs> like, right? Not even sure what that means, probably. Maybe some of you would say, yeah, I want to be holy. Like, that's a little more familiar word. But, but maybe not, because for many, the word holy has negative connotations. We think of holier than thou, or kind of a religious snob. And perfection, I mean, perfection, we know that nobody's perfect, nobody's ever going to be perfect, and so that's not even something that we pursue, right? I want to read a passage of scripture. It is, I think, the most disturbing passage of scripture in the entire Bible. It's not even really a passage, it's one verse. And this verse, for those who believe that the Bible is the word of God, who believe that the Bible lays claims on our lives, this scripture is really, really disturbing. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's Jesus speaking. So, Here's what Matthew 5:48 says. Be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yikes. Be perfect like God is what Jesus just said. The first time I read this I was hoping that verse 49 would say, and then Jesus said, ha ha, only kidding. <laughs> there is no verse 49. That's the, end of the, that's the end of the chapter. If you read chapter five of Matthew's gospel, it's Jesus beginning the Sermon on the Mount. And it is a mind-blowing sermon. In fact, it's been a while, I think, since we've done this a series on the, uh, 
the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually having our preaching planning meeting uh, this week, I think, so we may need to look at this as a, as a series. But anyway, Jesus, he begins with what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who, and then he goes through those who are blessed, and it's a mind-blowing list. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What? And then he goes into a series of you have heard it said. You've heard it said that you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you curse someone, it's as if you murdered them. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at someone with lust, you've already committed the act. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, if someone hits you on the right cheek, give to them your left cheek as well. It is mind-blowing, this Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at what Jesus said just before verse 48. So 46, 47, what did Jesus say as he's coming to that that very disturbing thing in 48? This is what he said. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if... You greet only your own people. What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I think Jesus is saying that to follow him, he wants us to live by a different standard. Jesus is raising up a different standard of living. You know, it's funny, when we talk about standard of living in our culture, what are we talking about? Money and stuff, right? How much money, how much stuff do you have? That is your standard of living. But Jesus is saying, a standard of living that he's talking about has to do with character and integrity. What is it that he's calling us to do? Is the standard of being perfect, and if it is, what does that look like? So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives a whole lot of things. He talks about a whole lot of things. So is this new standard, the standard of perfection that he's calling us to live to, Uh, is what we're supposed to do, go through that sermon and list out kind of a ledger. On one side, do these things, and on the other side, and don't do these things. And so in essence, is what happens, is, is what Jesus saying, the old laws are now out, and so I'm giving you a whole new list of do's and don'ts, things that you need to do to follow. Is that what living a perfect life is about. Well, John Wesley believed that to be true for a time. 
John Wesley, as many of you know, was the founder of the Methodist movement. He was a point leader in what historians call the Great Awakening, that was one of the most significant movements of the Christian faith in history that swept through Europe and the colonies and so forth. But before all of that, Wesley was a man who was deeply devout, who wanted to live a holy life, who wanted to be sanctified, who wanted to be perfect. And so he set out to live that kind of life. And he had a very methodical, thus Methodist, way of going about that. This is a guy who got up at 4.30 every morning and spent over an hour in prayer and study of scriptures. He would do it again in the afternoon and again in the evening. He had developed this system and he was a professor at Oxford, a brilliant man, and others who saw what he was doing wanted to uh, follow suit and so they created a club called the Holy Club. Boy, that's, you know, that'd be popular on today's campuses, don't you think? <laughs> hey, I'm part of the Holy Club. I got a jacket. <laughs> he was looking to become perfect. And so he pursued this day after day, week after week, month after month for years. And he grew more and more despondent. Why? Because the more he tried, the more he realized he was falling short. And it wasn't until he finally understood the nature of God's grace, God's unearned, unmerited favor, God's gift that just has to be received, not earned, until then, he was despondent. Once that realization of God's grace became real to him, Wesley wrote in his journal that on that day, he felt his heart strangely warmed. And then Wesley came to understand that sanctification or holiness or perfection, all of that work is initiated by God and not by human effort. God is doing the work and we are simply responding. Think of it this way. The story I told you about my perfect day at the beach, right? I had nothing to do with creating that day. I had nothing to do with setting the temperature or the humidity, the temperature of the water, creating those waves. I didn't do any of that. All I did was show up. Now, if I had stayed home, I would have missed it. If I had stayed on the boardwalk, I would have missed it. My role in that perfect day was to be on that beach, to go into the water, to catch that wave and to ride it all the way in and run out and do the next one and the next one. That's kind of how perfection works. God creates 
the environment within you through the work of his Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. God is creating an environment within us so that we, as we follow the Spirit, as we immerse ourselves in that, God works. So that's how perfection works. God does the initiating. God's creating the environment. But what is it? What is perfection? Is it our ability to flawlessly keep a whole series of do's and don'ts following a series of laws that Jesus established and to do that flawlessly? Is that the nature of Christian perfection? And the answer, of course, is no. Here's how Wesley described it. He described it as being made perfect in love. Christian perfection is about being made perfect in love. Christian perfection, then, is when we come to the point where we actually love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about rules. A rules-based faith There are folks, and you may know folks like this, a rules-based faith is not about perfection, it's about perfectionism. Do you know the difference between perfection and perfectionism? Perfectionism is actually something that in psychological terms is described this way. According to psychologists, a perfectionist is someone who is driven by fear, highly critical of themselves and others, who have unrealistic expectations, fear of failure, and are defensive when criticized. That's perfectionism. That's someone who is viewing the world through this lens of there is a right way of doing things, the perfect way of doing things, I know what it is, and I drive myself crazy trying to do it, or I give up altogether because I know I can't. That's perfectionism. And the perfectionist and the perfectionist approach to faith is to have long lists of rules and requirements and expectations that are impossible to ever achieve and yet hold themselves and or others accountable to those lists that they've created. It's a rules-based faith. Here's what Jesus said. Here are the rules. Love God with all you've got. Love others. They're the rules. So the question isn't so much about, am I breaking the rules? That's not the question that we ask ourselves. 
Am I following the rules? Am I breaking the rules? Rather, the question that we should be asking ourselves as we are seeking perfection, what does love require of me in this situation? What a different question. Not what are the rules and am I obeying the rules? What are the rules and are you obeying the rules? What does love require of me in this situation? Saul of Tarsus was an intense guy. He was an intellectual. He was somebody that I would call hyper uh, a hyperactivist. Did I say that right? A hyperactivist, yeah. He was likely a perfectionist. He was very much a rule keeper and set that standard for himself and everybody else around him. He was a man who was very familiar about his own accomplishments and his own standing in society. All of that was true of Saul until he met the resurrected Jesus. And everything changed. His name changed. He went from Saul to Paul. His priorities changed. All of that stuff that he had counted as so important in his life, his standing, his accomplishments, he came to view as garbage or as was read to us just a few minutes ago, dog dung. It's really not a bad interpretation of that word. He went from being someone uh, pursuing perfection to someone who is pursuing righteousness. Not self-righteousness, but a righteousness of God. And he wrote about it in Philippians chapter 3. That was the scripture that was being read to us by Jack in that video. It was a section of Philippians chapter 3. And he talked about having had this own righteousness which was based on keeping the laws. And now it was about right living through faith. So let me just read a little bit of this to you from a different translation. So this is verse 12 of Philippians chapter three. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. So what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, look, I haven't reached perfection yet. I haven't gotten there yet, but it's still my goal. John Wesley called it going on to perfection. It's not that I have achieved it, but it is a goal. I'm not 
giving myself a pass by saying, well, nobody's perfect. There's no way you're ever going to be perfect, and so I don't pursue it. It's the goal. And I'm pressing on toward that goal. I'm pursuing that goal. What difference do you think it would make in your relationships if you set as a priority of your life being made perfect in love? How might that affect your marriage, your parenting, your relationship with coworkers or family members or friends, neighbors, if your goal was being made perfect in love. Following that up, verse 13 and 14, this is what he said. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining toward that which is ahead, I press on toward the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Notice that he says that I'm forgetting the past, right? Because the past can be a way of tripping us up. Because I've failed in the past, because I have made mistakes in the past, because I have done wrong things in the past, I'm not able to pursue this goal. And Paul is saying, forget the past. The goal isn't in the past. The goal is out on the horizon. The goal is out in front. Perfectionism says, I'm not going to even try because I've failed in the past and I'll fail again. Perfect love says, today is a brand new opportunity, a brand new opportunity for me to love like Jesus. Paul says, God called me heavenward. In other words, what's being described here is life lived with the kingdom of God perspective, not a kingdom of the world perspective. My eye is on where my future home is going to be and not just the here and now. God's calling me to look heavenward, to live in a heavenward way now. So let me ask you this. Are you tired of the anger and the violence and the greed and the abuse and the lies that you hear day after day after day that is so discouraging and so uh, sucks the life out of you? Yeah. Yeah. If you're tired of that, Jesus offers a better way. It's the way of perfection. And it starts each day with a simple prayer. And that prayer is, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Help me to love others like you do today.